Hi, my name is Jana Metzger. Welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. That in the gospel, we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies the implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Um, So today we hit week two of our blessed sermon series on the Beatitudes. If you missed last week, uh, it's up on our podcast, on the website. Uh, I'd highly encourage you to check it out because it gives us uh, just a little info Uh, on what the entire series is going to be about, Uh, also a little historical info on what was going on uh, while Jesus gave this message, uh, historically speaking. Uh, So go check that out uh, if you missed it last week. Uh, But today we pick that up, um, and if each week we're going to build on this. Um, Today we dig into the first of uh, the individual blessings, so we're going to go through and week by week Uh, So if you go through and count, that's eight blessings that Jesus gives us. Blessed are the whatever follows after. So we're going to go through eight of those. So this is going to carry us through eight weeks. Um, So we're going to take this. Now, if you paid attention from week to week, if you listened to last week, you listened to this week, we are reading the exact same passage of Scripture every single week. So as your pastor, can I give a little plug here? Memorize this verse. Last week we talked about God, before Jesus came to earth, before, you know, the gospel, the events of the gospels happened, there was a break, a 400-year break between the last prophet speaking and then all of the events of the New Testament. 400 years, some call it 400 years of silence, but for 400 years, it's like the whole earth was taking a breath and holding it. And then when God breaks his silence, he does so through his son, and this is what Jesus teaches These are the first words, the first public teaching of Jesus that comes out of his mouth are, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's what God breaks his silence with. So I don't know about you, but if that's the sermon that God comes to earth and preaches, that's the first thing he hits us with, it's pretty important to remember, right? And so we got eight weeks. Eight weeks is plenty of time, so I would encourage you. Everybody's got the Bible app on their phone. If you don't have it on your phone, get your Bible Put your little bookmark in it on Matthew 5, and every single morning you wake up, no matter what time that is, every morning you wake up, flip to the Beatitudes and just read this. Have these words be the first thing that hit you when you wake up in the morning. Every single night before you go to bed, flip open your Bible, scroll open your Bible on your app, whatever it is, and read these words of Jesus. Have these words be the last thing that hits you in the day before you go to bed, right? Jesus Christ, there's this, this kind of cool teaching, I won't spend too long on it, but Jesus Christ in, in the book of Revelation, he calls himself the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end. I heard a really cool sermon by Pastor Tim Keller once that said, when we make God our Alpha point, and when we make God our Omega point, when we make God our first and we make God our last, everything in between follows suit. If you make God the first thing you think of when you wake up in the morning, if you make these beatitudes the first thing that hits your brain, the first thing that hits your soul when you wake up in the morning, and you make them the last thing that hits you before you go to bed at night, 
guys, it's going to be so much easier for everything else throughout your day to follow suit, right? It's not a guarantee. It's not saying, well, everything's going to go perfect for you. That's, we're going to learn that's not how it goes today. But so much easier to start your day with God's word and to end your day with God's word. And why not be the Beatitudes? And then each day as you go along, pull that Bible a little further and further away, right? So start with the first verse. So, okay, I got that. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they, theirs is the kingdom of God. Okay, I got that one, so I don't need to look at my Bible for that one. Then go on to the next one and memorize that one and memorize that one. And eventually you'll have this all memorized. And we all know this, when it's memorized, it's down there, right? Once you get it memorized, it gets down into your heart. And that's where we want the word of God hidden so that that way when the government comes and takes our bibles from us i'm just kidding conspiracy theories no <laughs> but it's hi it's hidden in our hearts right that's the one place nobody can take that away from you when god's word is hidden in your heart no one can take that away from you no matter what okay there you go there's your plug so we are going to dive into the first beatitude today and today we are going to do this a little bit different we are going to talk about blessed persecution, to which all of you who just listened to the Beatitudes should say, time out, pastor, you idiot. That's not the first one. I assure you, I am not an idiot. Well, kind of am sometimes, but I know that this isn't the first one, and there's a reason for that. We're actually going to work our way back backwards through these Beatitudes. We're going to start at the end, and we're going to go backwards, and there's a reason. Let me tell you the reason. Long time ago, uh, I don't even think we had started the Gospel House Church yet. Uh, it was a long time ago, uh, but I, I, was, I always used to go get coffee with my father-in-law. So him and I, we went to Panera to get coffee, and we were sitting there. And some of you, if you have outside these doors, there's this little packet, uh, discipling packet that my father-in-law wrote. It's called The Climbing Tree. If you haven't picked one of those up, you can. They are out there, but uh, the story is actually in that. He tells this story. Uh, I was familiar with the story before that packet, but... So a, a while back, uh, the Lord spoke to Van, my father-in-law, and, and he told him that he wanted him to spend, he didn't give him a time, but he wanted to do nothing but read that first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That was it, nothing else. That was the only Bible reading he did. That was the only thing that he prayed. He just, he spent, and he ended up spending eight months doing nothing. He opened up his Bible. He left it open to that passage on the, on the floor of his bedroom. He doesn't like cell phones. Van still doesn't really do the whole cell phone thing. But So he, he used his, his word, and the first thing he did when he woke up in the morning, he's, he looked at that passage, he read it, and he prayed on it. And that was it. He didn't go look for sermons preached on that passage. He didn't go look for podcasts on that passage. I don't think he could look for podcasts if he wanted to. Uh, he, he didn't do anything else because, this is going to sound familiar to you, I told you I steal all of his stuff, right? But because, the reason he didn't is because he didn't want to learn how to be poor in spirit man's way. Hmm? If I'm going to learn to, this is him, if, I, if he's going to learn to be poor in spirit, he wants to be poor in spirit God's way. And he knew that the Holy Spirit was capable of teaching him that all by himself right? I think some of us would do well to hit that approach on more things, right? So I thought, man, I'd actually really like that. God, I like that. I want my own beatitude. God, give me my beatitude. What's my beatitude going to be, right? And so I went through, I was looking through, and I picked Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, 
for they shall see God. I thought, man, I want to see God. That'd be pretty cool, right? All right, that's mine. I'm claiming it. So I went, we went to Panera, met with Van, said, Van, I picked my beatitude. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And he looked at me, said, okay. But don't you kind of think they all go together? I thought, doggone it, Van. Can you just give me one? Can I just get it right once, right? I mean, you got your beatitude. Why don't I get mine, right? And then, I, like all spiritual disciplines that I have, I forgot about it. <laughs> right? Life gets crazy, and I completely forgot that I was doing it. Until earlier this year. And God reminded me of this. And he did so two, two ways. First, there's something kind of cool that happened a, a while back. Again, it was before the gospel house, but I had just walked through this big spiritual victory. Like, you know, David and Goliath, you know, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Like a big, a big spiritual victory where I, like, I was front and center and saw God move in a super powerful way. And I remember I was driving away and I said to myself, well, said to God, I was praying, and I said, I said, God, how do I do this again? How do I keep this going? And God spoke so clearly to me and said, Jeremy, if you guard your heart, I will take care of the rest. And I remembered that, and I would love to tell you that I guarded my heart fiercely from that day on and never made another mistake. That didn't happen. But earlier this year, God reminded me of that. And I thought, oh, wait, that beatitude, right? I was going to pray that. And so I, I did it. I, I jotted it down. I made a little verse image. You know, the Bible app makes you, lets you do these little verse images. I made a little verse image for it. Blessed are the pure in heart. I'm going to be pure in heart. And I started praying it. And every morning I would get up and I'd start praying through that verse. God, show me what it means to be pure in heart. God, I want to be pure in heart your way. Show me what this means. And so I started that. And then eventually, very clearly, God told me, the reason you can't be pure in heart, Jeremy, is because you don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. You guys starting to see how the Holy Spirit talks to me? <laughs> Some people get light and fluffy. Jeremy just gets, bam, slapped upside the head. That's how God talks to me. But that's what he said. You can't be pure in heart. Because the, the fact of the matter is you can't just will yourself to be pure in heart, right? The gospel teaches us that. You can't Make yourself be pure in heart because you don't hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jeremy. You don't hunger and thirst for my righteousness in your life. But doggone. All right. So went to my Bible app and I made a new verse image because now I'm going to hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied, right? And that took all of about four minutes because God said, Jeremy, I can't satisfy you. I can't fill you because you're too full of yourself. Doggone it, Van was right again. Right? I would have t-shirts made. Van was right. So I went all the way back to the beginning. But you see how I stumbled into a truth there? <laughs> I think that's why God lets me screw up into these things so often. Because sometimes when you screw up into something, you remember it a whole lot better than if you get it right the first time, right? But hopefully from my screw up, you all can learn something too. These beatitudes build off of each other. And it's like my father-in-law said, they, they all go together, right? They all fit together. But I think as we, as we tear into these, we'll see 
they really all are contingent upon the next step, right? And we learn something super important spiritually, not just from the Beatitudes, but from all of Scripture. Guys, we've got to stop acting like we graduate from these passages, right? We've got to stop acting like we can go to these Beatitudes and pick one Beatitude and we can study it and then move on from it, right? All of God's word, these are building blocks that we put in place, but that then have to stay there. You don't stop being poor in spirit. Okay, God, I got that, right? We know this. You don't graduate from the gospel. They all build off of each other. It all builds off of each other. And so by going through these, be these beatitudes backwards, hopefully we see how each of these things links together. And then when we get to the end of it, we come to this concept of being poor in spirit. And the goal is, unless the Holy Spirit changes course, then we follow the Holy Spirit. But the, the, the hope is, or the thought is, that when we get to that, we really, really just dwell on what it means to be poor in spirit. Because if God says that's the first step, then we've got to get it right, right? And I don't know if you all struggle with this as much as I do, clearly, from the Holy Spirit's teaching. I need to do a better job of being poor in spirit. I need to learn what that means before I can go on to anything else. So that's where we will get. But before we get there, we start at the end. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Not popular, huh? We don't like to hear that. That's not a teaching of Jesus that is very fun. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And we see it break down in three ways. How we can get to blessed persecution. First, we have to expect it. If we don't, persecution is going to catch us off guard, and we will never be able to find the blessing in it. Anyone tend to run from persecution? Right? But if we spend our whole time running from it, we can never be blessed by it. Right? Second, we have to embrace it. Okay, come on, now you're just being cruel right? It's not just that you have to expect it. you got to embrace it. Bring it in. Hug it out. And then finally, and this is going to be a consistent theme with all of these points. We talked about it last week. You have to aim it, right? Who did we say? What did we say our aim was last week? God, right? My goal is God himself. Nothing else. Nothing more, nothing less. God, is my aim. And so as we go through the beati these Beatitudes, what does our aim have to be with absolutely all of these? And it has got to be God. If God is our goal, then these cannot be blessings if they are void of him. So we have to figure out how to aim these things to make them blessings, the blessings that Jesus talked about. We ready? All right, let's go. First up, we must expect persecution as followers of Jesus. Y'all, this is not something, if, if, if you have sat under, if you have looked at, if you've read about, if you've seen this prosperity gospel, this version of Christianity that is comfortable, that is prospering, that is flourishing, if, you, if you've seen any of that stuff, 
You cannot expect persecution under that teaching. That teaching does nothing to prepare you for persecution. When you are taught that God only blesses those who obey him, right? That financial blessing is all yours if you give your 10%. If you obey him, then he's going to pour out the storehouses of heaven and you're going to get all of this cool stuff on this earth. If that's what you're taught, if you're taught, God will put his hedge of protection around his loved ones and no one, no enemy will ever stand against those whom God protects. Have you lived on this earth? Right? You find out very quickly that that teaching is trash. Now the problem we have is that it's a half-truth, right? Y'all, those scripture passages exist. I'm not going to lie to you. They're in here. But like anything in the Bible, y'all, if we cut out a passage of scripture and take it isolated, we can make it say whatever we want, right? That's why we've got to look at the whole picture. What does it mean in the context of all of scripture? Again, if we're pursuing God and he is not our greatest blessing, and he is not our goal, our only goal, then all of this other stuff gets twisted. When we say that God blesses obedience, he does, y'all, but not outside of himself. He's the blessing, right? When we say that God puts his hedge of protection around his chosen ones, he does, but not outside of himself. And y'all, that falls apart really quick when we look at his son, (laughs) right? Did God put his hedge of protection around Jesus? Yes and no, right? At moments, But ultimately, Jesus went to the cross. And we've got to stop thinking that there's a version of Christianity where we don't have to carry our cross. It doesn't exist, y'all. But the problem is, people aren't taught that. They aren't taught to expect persecution, even though it's in the red letters. Jesus teaches it. And when you aren't discipled to do the right thing, guess what you don't do? The right thing, right? So persecution hits, suffering comes, and people who aren't being discipled correctly, they fold under that pressure. People walk away from the faith because they've been taught this half-truth, this false gospel that you can order Christianity. It's like McDonald's or Burger King, right? You go through the drive-thru, hey, Jesus, uh, I'll take a Christianity combo meal, uh, hold the persecution, um, biggie size of wealth, and, uh, and blessings. Uh, you can biggie size the popularity too. I'll take extra popularity. Uh, but hey, again, listen. No persecution, okay? Did, did you hear me? If persecution comes on it, I send it back. If persecution comes on the side, I send it back. That's not how it works though, is it? We don't get to order Jesus to custom fit our desires. Y'all, I don't want to be persecuted any more than anybody else right? But Jesus says to expect it. And if we are going to follow him, we've got to follow him his way, right? Jesus says, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Once again, y'all, this is not just a New Testament principle. We talked about this last week. There's this false teaching out there that Jesus came, and when Jesus came, he taught this radical new stuff. And everybody was like, whoa, we've never heard this before. That's a lie. That's not true. Because if Jesus would have taught this radical new stuff, he'd be contradicting the law and the prophets, right? Jesus came to uphold the law and the prophets. He may have explained it differently, the clarity coming from him. I mean, you're talking about the guy who wrote this, right? He wrote the word of God. He is the word of God. And so the clarity coming from him was probably what they were amazed at. Holy moly, we've never heard it explained like this before. This is good stuff, right? But it was not a new teaching because I dare you, dare you, go read the Old Testament and find me a popular prophet. Find it. I, I, I mean, I know one instance in particular where there are po- pro- <laughs> popular prophets. I read it to you a couple weeks ago. The popular prophets were the ones saying the things the kings wanted to hear. And when the real prophet showed up, he told the king, they're all lying to you, Ahab. You're about to die. And then they took that prophet and they threw him in jail and said, he doesn't come out of jail until I come back alive. To which the prophet said, Ahab, if you come back alive, then the word I received isn't from the Lord and you can kill me. There's no such thing as a popular prophet in the Bible. Now look, I'll give you, there were times when the prophets weren't completely despised, but the times that the prophets weren't completely despised were the times when Israel was doing the right thing, right? They were following the Lord. And even then, those moments didn't last long, did they? It's kind of the condition of humanity. We tend to do well for a little bit and then we screw it up, right? it is really difficult to find a popular prophet. And if you are following on social media or YouTube or whatever it is, popular prophets today, be careful, y'all. Be careful. Because popularity and speaking the truth of God's word according to Jesus very rarely go hand in hand. 60 times we see the word persecution show up in the Bible. Forty-four of those come in the New Testament. Forty-four times in the New Testament. Ten times Jesus Christ himself in the Gospels is recorded as teaching on persecution. And y'all, these are just the teachings on persecution. It does not say very often in the book of Acts, then Paul was delivered to be persecuted. It doesn't say that. It just tells us that Paul was delivered to be whipped right? So those aren't including the times that we are explicitly told that the disciples were persecuted for preaching in the name of Jesus. That does not include the times that we are told that Jesus Christ went to the cross, that the crowds picked up stones to stone him because he said the wrong thing. And y'all, I'd say because Jesus said the wrong thing, but Jesus never said the wrong thing, right? We're clear on that? He always said the right thing, and was almost killed for it, and ultimately was killed for it. So why? 
Why do we act surprised every time persecution starts knocking on our door? 60 times, y'all. 44 in the New Testament. 10 times in the Gospels. Yet we act surprised every time it raises its head and challenges us as Christians today. The reality is this shows us an enormous crack in our armor as Christians. I've talked about this before, but y'all, the church, especially in the United States, for too long has enjoyed, thoroughly enjoyed and abused its position of power and prestige. It used to be, as a pastor, you had some swag, right? You could tell people you were a pastor, and people would be like, oh, yeah, church is cool, right? Maybe not that, but people respected pastors. And we did a bang-up job, Christians, of destroying that image, right? Between priests abusing their powers, pastors abusing their powers. It shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. They're all human, right? But y'all, I love this saying. I'll say it again and again and again. Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And the more we let that power get to our head, but the problem is, y'all, when I look at the landscape of the church in the United States, we haven't learned. We haven't learned how to follow Jesus without that power and prestige. We have no idea what to do, and so we sit and cry about how we no longer have power and prestige. Which begs the question, were we actually following Jesus in the first place? Because I never see Jesus requiring power and prestige to minister, to do what God told him to do. See, the problem is not just that the Bible actually teaches us to expect persecution. That would be far too easy. The problem is that the Bible teaches us to embrace persecution. It is so much worse, so much worse than just expecting it. Because if you expect it, right, you can just weather the storm. But if you have to embrace it, that means you actually have to walk out into that storm, doesn't it? And you have to say, I'm going to take this on. I'm going to face this. Not just hide from it, but face it. Let's start with our good friend James. You guys remember when we started this year, we started in the book of James? <laughs> you don't want to remember it. And this is why you don't want to remember it. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfected and complete lacking in nothing you guys remember last week we said what's the purpose of all of this what's the point of the beatitudes right and and matthew 5 the very last verse in matthew 5 says you shall be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect that's the goal right god's the standard and not for a second does he lower that standard. He doesn't say, well, do your best and just get as high on this holy bar as you can. That's not what he teaches. He teaches, I will give my son, I will give my life, 
who will then give you access to the Holy Spirit, me living inside of you, to get you to that standard, but I am not lowering my standard. Your goal is to be perfect. And what does James say? The brother of Jesus. You cannot be perfect without persecution. You cannot be perfected without the endurance that comes from walking through trials. And y'all, this is so consistent in Scripture. Nowhere in God's Word does it say, grit your teeth, dig a trench, brace yourself because the storm's going to be done soon. Right? Those are what our worship songs say, but that's not what the Bible says. Right? Now, you look, you, I'll, I'll throw you a bone. You got passages, right? Sorrow may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Oh, thank goodness, Jesus. But once again, if you live life, you know the morning has come and joy did not come with it. The reality is the Bible says you will suffer on this earth and it might never get better. You might live life on this earth and it may never, you will, you will never see justice on this earth. But there will come a day. And God himself will stand on his throne and he will make every wrong right that you have ever experienced. But it might not come this side of eternity. Churches don't teach that, y'all. This is more than just enduring. This is more than just saying, grit your teeth and bear it because it'll be over soon. That's not what it says. Consider it all joy. Don't just expect it. Don't just say, oh, yep, crappy things happen. I'm, I'm ready for it. Okay. Embrace it. Consider it all joy. Right? Anybody else want to just scream at God after reading this? Right? God, are you kidding me? You want me to find joy in this? Do you see what's happening? Do you know what I'm going through? Lord, you've got a pretty messed up definition of joy. And yet, the author of life, who's got the messed up definition of joy? I think for too long, churches have taught the wrong thing when it comes to joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength, so you can smile. Y'all, I, 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 look, I have no theological evidence for this. I don't think Jesus was smiling on the cross. I, do, I just don't buy it. There's no biblical evidence. It doesn't tell us what his facial expressions were, as much as I would love to paint that for you and pretend. It doesn't say it. I don't see Jesus smiling on the cross. So joy in the Lord does not look like, <laughs> God, I'm really going through it, but I'm still smiling. Here I am. That's not joy of the Lord. I don't think that's how Jesus endured the cross. I don't think that's how any of God's people have suffered. Yet, it is rejoicing in the face of the worst persecution. Y'all, this is what God is telling us. Jesus Christ came to tell us, blessed are those who are persecuted. Consider it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. That means we must learn to suffer well so that God can be glorified. Again, that's not popular, right? Nobody wants to do that, but you have to learn how to do it. 
Look at what this looks like in action. This is from Acts 5, early, early in the book of Acts. Five chapters in, the disciples filled with the Holy Spirit, they're out healing people, preaching in the name of Jesus, doing all of this crazy stuff in the name of Jesus. And the Bible tells us the Jewish leaders did not like it one bit. They were jealous, it tells us. Right? It kind of throws out that idea, you know, there's a lot of people who think, oh, if we just have signs and wonders, nobody can argue with signs and wonders. (laughs) Have you ever read this book? Because there's people all through the pages of this book that argue with signs and wonders. Right? That's what they're doing. They're out doing incredible things in the name of Jesus, ministering to the poor, ministering to the sick. You would think that people would be like, wow, this is incredible. Like, our people aren't sick anymore. Our people aren't poor anymore. Let them do their thing. But no, 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 no. Very, very consistent throughout the history of man. They didn't like it. Anybody else wants to start a charity, you go for it. Jesus followers start a charity, forget about it. Uh Uh-uh, we don't want you pushing that gospel down our throats. We don't care how many people you feed. Right? And that's exactly what the Jews do. So they throw them in jail. Take that, Jesus followers. Problem is an angel comes and breaks them out of jail. Whoops. And so then the disciples get smart and they run and hide. Oh wait, they don't. They march right back into the temple square and they preach the exact same message that they told them not to preach. The exact same message that got them thrown in jail. That's where we pick up this lovely story and see this. They followed his advice and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. So they, the disciples, went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Rejoicing, y'all, that they were beaten for preaching in the name of Jesus. Do you guys know why the Christian church grew exponentially in Rome? In the, specifically in the city of Rome and the surrounding areas? Do you guys know what it was? They actually have records of this. They have outside, not even Christian, not even early Christian writers, like outside of Christianity writers writing about Christians in the early church. So Emperor Nero, he decided that he's, he was going to start persecuting the church, the Christians. He did it, and he saw it was making some people happy, so he's like, hey, political points. <laughs> Politicians. Political points. Let's keep killing them, right? Y'all, they did insane things to the Christians. Insane things. It's like they reserved the worst punishments for Christians. They'd put them in the middle of these arenas while thousands of people watched and let wild animals come out and just tear them apart. They would use them in plays where like these Greek tragedies where people had to die and they would actually kill the Christians who were in these roles. Literally, they hung Peter upside down on a cross. They tore Christians limb from limb. I mean, tortured these people. And yet the church in Rome grew like wildfire. Because these people who watched these Christians get tortured, they said, y'all, you can look this up for yourself. You can go Google search this on your own. You can look it up. They have the historical documents to say this. The Christians suffered so well in the face of death and torture and persecution of the worst kinds. They died with such grace and peace 
that the people watching said, they have something that I don't, and I want it. And the church grew like wildfire. Y'all, it was not because Christianity was cool. Right? Quite the opposite. Christians weren't out there in the Colosseum with their jean jackets and popped collars, you know, like, hey, look at us, we're awesome. Nope. Not following all the cultural trends to stay cool and trendy and right on the edge. Nope. Right, sorry, Lex has got a jean jacket on. I'm sorry, Lex. <laughs> I promise I wasn't looking at you. <laughs> She's got her pop collar popped now. There you go. But that's, that's not why they followed them, right? They f- everybody's got jean jackets on. Jeez. I picked the wrong analogy. Bomber jackets. How about they, does anybody have a bomber jacket on today? They, can you flip the hood on a bomber jacket? Do they have collars? I don't know. Well, anyway, <laughs> they had their cool Roman outfits on, togas something. Are, but that's not how they attracted people. Why in the world does the church today, specifically in America, think, well, if we're just cool enough, we'll get people to come out, and then they'll really be disciples of Jesus? Never. Never in the history of the real church of God is that how God grows his church. He never grows his church through popularity. So what are we doing? Y'all, Christians suffered well so that God was glorified and the world noticed. How are we doing today? Because whenever there is a sniff of persecution... Whenever there is a sniff of something that goes remotely sideways, we as the church cry out, persecution! Save us! Right? Somebody with a Biden bumper sticker cuts me off in traffic. Persecution, Lord! Save me, Jesus! Right? Somebody with a Make America Great Again hat calls me woke. Oh, you're one of those woke pastors. Persecution! Right? I got to shoot on both sides of the aisle just so nobody gets super offended. That way, when they go back and put this on social media, look at Pastor Jeremy, I could say, hey, I got the other side too. Just play both sides, right? But y'all, we cry persecution over every little thing. You guys know John Chris? There's a Christian comedian named John Chris. He's got this joke about how, you know, suburban housewives cry persecution because their patio furniture isn't there by the 4th of July party, right? But here's the thing, y'all. It's only funny because it's true, right? If he's just pulling this out of midair, it's like, eh. But it's funny because it's true. Because we've all got the person, the, you know, you know the person in your family. I'm not going to point any fingers. I'll let you do that when you get home for lunch today. We all know the person, right? Stop by every traffic light on the way to church. Spiritual warfare. Right? While the people over in China who are actually being murdered for their faith, Right? Y'all, we don't know how to suffer. We don't know how to face persecution today in the church. And for as much as the world noticed when the early church suffered well, the world notices now how poorly the church reacts to pain and suffering, how poorly the church reacts to persecution. Do not think for a second that they don't. They see it. And that is why The world wants nothing to do with your religion. Not yours personally, you know what I mean. That's why the church church has lost its influence. We've forgotten the bedrock principle. 
So when Jesus closes his Beatitudes and says, blessed are those who are persecuted, he's being serious, y'all. This isn't joke. This isn't irony. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And the fact that we can't see it really ultimately shows us that our aim is completely off. There are a lot of Christians crying persecution in the United States today. A lot of Christians. It's not that we don't think it exists. We see it. But I question the aim. I'm probably going to get crucified by somebody on this. Get called woke by half of everybody and then alt-right by everybody else. I don't know. There's not like a good like, you know, punch to the right. I don't maybe I just don't or to the left. You know, or I don't know. But anyway, there is only one kind of persecution that Jesus Christ calls blessed. And y'all, if your aim is off, even a little, it is not, it doesn't count. It doesn't count as blessing. Look at what he said. I highlighted in red for you. Isn't that nice? Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Y'all, your Republican values do not constitute covering in this blessing. If you are being persecuted for your political values, that doesn't cover it. It doesn't count. The same way, I told you I'll shoot both sides, right? The same way, your social justice, right? Your oh, liberal social justice, we stand for all lives, and da, da, da. it doesn't count. Jesus Christ says it doesn't count. Look, you want to crucify somebody, they already did, right? You want to take it up, take it up with him. You can kill me if you want. They did it with all the other prophets. Hey, I get covered by this, right? Jesus Christ said it. Persecution outside of obedience to him does not constitute blessing. You hear me? Persecution outside of him. It is not the gospel plus. I, you know, I'm, I'm being super hard on politics right now, but that's because that's, that's, politics is like the one ivory tower that I see in the church that is set up that we have got to be so careful, y'all, because you can run to that as an idol very quickly. Now, let me say, I'll, I'll throw a bone to, to all my politicos out there, everybody who's political. There is a very important vote coming up. Are you aware of this? It's, it's somewhat under the radar, but listen, y'all, you have to get out and vote. You have to, have to, have to get out and vote. August 8th, I think, is August 8th the day. Okay, August 8th is the day, and y'all, please go vote. Okay, uh, actually, Stephanie printed off these little packets. They're at our front table uh, as you're exiting where the kids check stuff is. You can go through the packet and read exactly what issue one is, uh, but it is, it's, it's amending our Constitution so that it requires 60%, the, the vote required to pass an amendment to the Constitution, goes from 50% to 60%. And so it, the reason it is so important is because with recent Supreme Court rulings and stuff, they have very much passed down legislative control to the states. 
And so what's happening now is states are starting to put in their constitution some of these laws that used to be viewed as, as laws of the nation. Uh, so when you talk about things like abortion, when you talk about things like par parental rights, um, like kids getting sex changes without their parents being notified, kids having abortions without their kids being notified, things like that. Y'all, listen to me. I, I will scream this from the mountaintops, and I don't care who comes after me. You want to have a talk about it afterwards? We can talk about it afterwards. Abortion is not a political issue. Abortion is not a political issue. It is 100% a moral issue. I will die on that mountain. I don't care who wants to come after me for that. Okay? There are other things that are very much political issues that I am not going to preach from the pulpit. That is not one of them. Okay? Gender assignment, not a political issue. That is a moral issue. Okay? And so we've got that we've, we've got to be careful though, because these things have been made Democrat and Republican issues. They're not, y'all. And as a, as a Christian, as, as, a, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you cannot first be a Republican. You can't, because the second you do that, the second you do it, this is why I'm so passionate about this, the second you do that, you lose the ability to see the errors in your party. It's like this with anything else, with anything else. Christianity is the only thing that gives us the option to come up, to, listening to the Holy Spirit, to sit above everything else and to rightly judge whether the things that party is doing is correct or not. The scariest thing in the universe, y'all, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Both political parties right now are obsessed with power. Absolutely obsessed with it. And the danger that puts us in is you've heard it from both sides, right? Republicans are warning, oh, if you stand and stay silent during this time, you'll be just like all the Germans who let Hitler take over. And yet, somehow, oddly, Democrats are saying the exact same thing about Donald Trump. Well, he's Hitler. Look at him. Sociopath. All pol politicians are sociopaths, <laughs> right? You, you kind of got to be a little bit. But y'all, we have now first, so, so I say all of that to get my point across. You cannot blindly swear allegiance to one party. You can't. You just can't can't you can absolutely and should vote as the holy spirit tells you to vote we have systems in place and so that means showing up august 8th and voting on this issue issue one like i said packets are up there go get those but y'all do you see how sneaky this is uh, again i use politics as 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 my example but it's not just politics it can come in a thousand different shades, probably more than that. It is so, so sneaky. The enemy loves to sneak in there and get it so that when we are persecuted, we turn our aim even a tenth of a degree off. And all of a sudden, we aren't just suffering for God. We're suffering for God and my family. I'm suffering for God and country. I'm suffering for God and, you know, whatever the other is, y'all, Jesus Christ says, if you are aiming at the wrong thing, this blessing does not apply to you. And that's hard. When we suffer for the wrong things, when we are persecuted for the wrong things, it can be very easy to fall into that trap. 
but we have to make sure that our aim is on. Do you see the aim of this? Do you see how perfect it has to be? There is no shade that you can miss on this on, y'all. We have got to aim at God every time. And thankfully, like we said last week, that's why we have the Holy Spirit, right? Now, I'm not asking if you like it, <laughs> right? I don't like half of, well, probably more than half. I don't like a lot of the stuff the Holy Spirit tells me to do, right? But I don't see anywhere in the gospel where Jesus says, hey guys, here's my teaching. Did you all like that? Are you all okay with this? Does this sound good to you all? God's never once asked me my opinion, right? Hey, Jeremy, I'd like you to go start this church. What do you think about that? That's not how he talks to me. Maybe he does talk to you like that. But on this issue, on these issues, God's not asking if you like it. He is telling you your aim has to be perfect. You guys, anybody seen The Patriot? Mel Gibson, right? Aim small, miss small. That's what he teaches his kids before they go out and they're shooting the redcoats. Right? Aim small, miss small. Y'all, Holy Spirit's telling you the same thing. Aim small, miss small. You have got to let the Holy Spirit aim this for you. And your aim must be set on God and God alone. And in obedience to Him, do what He tells you to do. Vote how He tells you to vote. Guys, the Holy Spirit's really good at His job. Some might say perfect at it. He's not going to tell you to do the wrong thing. Listen to him and do what he says. All of the Beatitudes are focused entirely on the person of God, on who he is. He is the blessing. And so you can't achieve the blessing without setting him as your target, without making him your goal. This goes for persecution. It's going to go for everything else that we talk about. We said last week, when you live for the kingdom of God, you get the kingdom of God. And if we simplify that down, when you live for God, you get God every time. The problem is we are so bad at living for him and him alone. There is something really cool that happens at the end of the Beatitudes here, and I think we miss it a lot. Every single beatitude, every single blessing is a future reward. Right? Every single one. Those who mourn will be comforted. The gentle will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. The merciful will receive mercy. The pure in heart will see God. Peacemakers will be called sons of God. There are two that are not future rewards. The first and the last. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look, y'all, this is heavy, right? The, I'm gonna, I'll just warn you, these beatitudes will be heavy. There's not a ton of beatitudes Jesus gives us where he says, blessed are the race car drivers. Yes, I get to be a race car driver. You know, like something really cool that we all want to do. There aren't a ton of those. None. 
all of them come with heavy, but y'all, the gospel has all of its hope in the heavy. If we let it be heavy, the gospel can offer us hope. And this is the hope. Right? Jesus goes on to say in this final beatitude, those who suffer abuse and injustice because of him, their reward in heaven is great. Not will be great. Does not say theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. It says right now. These are the two blessings that you do not have to wait for. Right now. And why is that? Because consistently, everywhere through Scripture, what does God promise his people? That if you, in obedience to him, will stand in the middle of the storm, he doesn't tell you whether it and I will be with you in the end. Whether it and when the storm lifts, you'll find me and I'll be there like a mystical unicorn. He doesn't say that. Everywhere in Scripture, God says, when you pass through the fire, I will be with you. When the waters rise, I will be with you. Why are these the only two promises that are not future promises? Because that's what the gospel says, y'all. Jesus Christ, the word of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, God with us. And when Jesus left this earth and ascended to heaven, he gave us access to his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God himself, dwelling among us, living inside of us. The gospel says... Suffer well on this earth. Not because you will receive a kingdom, but because you have already received the kingdom. Church, this world is not your home. You hear me? This world is not your home. You as a Christian are just passing through. And this is the only way you will be able to rejoice in your persecution. This is the only way you will ever be able to aim your suffering correctly, to suffer for God himself, nothing more and nothing less. If you stop living for this world and start living for his, live for his kingdom. Y'all, as long as you are living for anything on this earth, you will never be able to stand up and take joy in being persecuted. You will never be able to suffer well for Jesus so that he can be glorified. And if you want a little head start on next week, next week we'll tear into the next beatitude and see how these link together. Go home and read 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians 4 is your sneak peek. Because, y'all, it is extremely difficult to get this right if we don't know what it means to be God's peacemaker. I'm going to close every sermon this month like this. And I hope you'll join me in reflecting on this as we worship here at the end and also as you go throughout your week. But I'm going to close the same way every week, and it is this. My goal is God himself at any cost, dear Lord and by any road. And the goal of my persecution, the aim 
of any suffering he asks me to walk through is God himself, whatever that might cost me, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House podcast. We pray that you are pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button. Leave us a rating and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house connect, fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.